things where you think things will go, they don't quite go. But we're going here. Welcome to the Wages of Cinema. I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. Hey, and everybody. We interrupt your strange listening schedule of our podcast to bring you another episode of our podcast. Right, Jack? Yeah. We're the interrupting podcast people. What? You didn't interrupt me. But oh, sorry. Time. I didn't hear you. Anyway, that time you did. There what's you up, Jack? I'm all right. Um... So, I don't know if you've been following certain new movies that have been coming out. Uh, the interesting thing is we're, we're recording this uh, the day after Labor Day. Mm-hmm. And historically speaking, I don't know if this goes back, uh, you know, throughout film history. But certainly in the last 10, 20, maybe even 30 years or so, Labor Day weekend has been one of the major dead zones for movies. Hmm. Like, it is, like, wor- even worse than parts of january and february because actually now like j- there are there are times in january and february where people are going to the movies they're just catching up on oscar stuff or or now they're hollywood's found like little places in february that seem to work for movies but the point i want to make is that there uh is a movie that came out this weekend that was by a ma- no I, I don't know if, i guess i could say a major filmmaker that got almost no distribution. Barely any. Nobody knew it was coming out. What film is this, Jack? And that movie is Yoga Hosers by oh. Kevin Smith. Um, now, did you even know about this movie? I think I heard the title once, and then I heard the title again this weekend when I saw a review on RogerEbert.com. And uh, what was your... Did you, it didn't make any impression. Not really. No. You, haven't, you, haven't, you haven't even seen a trailer for it. No. That's crazy. I mean, you know, I, but that's what's interesting to me about it is the fact that Kevin, you know, maybe this is just from somebody who grew up, I don't know, I want to say I grew up on his movies or something that declarative, but he made a big impression on me as a teenager, and, you know, he's always been around, he's been releasing movies that, you know, get shown on thousands of screens, but now with these last three movies that he made, Red State, Tusk, and Yoga Hosers, it... He ha- he's had some strange things with distribution because Red State he took on tour like he didn't he, he actually got a lot of bids for it at Sundance where he'd screened it and then he decided no I'm not giving it to any of you I'm <laughs> gonna put it on tour myself we're gonna take this movie around to different theaters and uh, and I'm gonna do Q&A's and it'll be great and that's why I didn't see the movie in theaters right. because I could've and I'd also be paying $65 to see Red State. Right. <laughs> Which is kind of impractical, so Red, I had to wait Red for DVD. State, we, I've seen Red State with yeah, you. Yeah, we watched it. And I feel like I should see that movie again, because I'm not quite sure what to think about it. But you said the parts same thing. It, of, I'm sorry. Parts of it don't make sense to me still. Yeah. But the but the whole the movie as a whole was very intriguing. And I don't know if there's just like these big plot holes in it, or the plot makes these turns that don't make any sense but i, I want to see it again did you feel that way about tusk no tusk was just uh, my major problem with tusk was the ending <laughs> where they you do you mean like how much of the ending because they're the tone of, of the ending of the very ending of that film oh the last scene yes yeah that last scene like, I, I i'm actually someone who defends tusk as something that is really interesting and fun and uh, I think it's very dark. fun too. I had a really great time seeing Tusk. Yeah. And I think it and, and at times it's riveting and sometimes it goes a little some of the scenes go a little too yes. long. 
but it's still a very interesting take on the sort of yeah of uh, of, uh, of horror. Yeah, I just don't get I, I don't get that last scene either. Why is he? Uh, spoilers for somebody who out there. Well, who's let's not say, like, let's hey. not spoil no, no, the very I, end. I, I'm, of I, I want to go too. It's in, too, it's too much of a yeah, spoiler yeah, yeah. But to I really want, talk yeah, about. But, the, but the, it's it's very it's odd. the the ending of Red State was odd too though because originally I don't know if you knew this what was supposed to happen at the end of Red State was the rapture. Yeah. Really? Off there. Yeah, like everybody, like the rapture was supposed to start happening, but Kevin Smith couldn't really get a budget for that. So he instead had that whole scene where John Goodman is delivering exposition. Yeah. I think I would have felt kind of cheated by that ending. With the rapture? Yeah. Really? I mean, it would have been unexpected, but I would have, I think I would have been pissed off. A little too much? Yeah. Oh, maybe because then it would have made it be like, oh, maybe like now this guy who's been crazy spouting all this religious BS has been validated. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. But but the ending of that is still also a little weird. Yeah, and, well, it feels unnatural in its way. But I, I, I say about these two movies, though, because now we come to Yoga Hosers, which I don't know if you knew this, too, that um, Kevin Smith is in the midst of what he calls his, quote, True North trilogy. <laughs> He's making, he wants to make three movies about Canada. Uh, the first one was Tusk. Um, Second one is this one. And then a third movie will be called Moose Jaws, okay. which the title speaks for itself. It's about a moose, but it's like Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be curious to see that just for what that entails. Like, Kevin Smith is, is taking a lot of chances, I, I feel like. He's doing, um, he's doing some very strange things. I mean, Tusk was basically done... Like the story behind Tusk came from just yeah, an he, episode of his podcast. That's how all these. That's how this trilogy has come together. There, each movie is based on a podcast, and I actually I listened to the podcast that inspired Tusk because, like, what happened was with Tusk, he, um, he he actually like he told this. He it started as like a true story. I think maybe we talked about this yeah. on the podcast at the time, but it started as a real story. He spun it into something crazier while just kind of laughing about it with his friend, almost maybe like how we might do. Yeah. But then he went on Twitter and said yes or no to Tusk. Give me a hashtag. And of course, all of his followers are like, yes, yes, Tusk. Yeah. Give us Tusk. Or actually, I think the hashtag was Walrus Yes. People could say Walrus Yes or Walrus No. Right. And people said Walrus Yes because. You know, because why would you say walrus no in any circumstances? <laughs> so, now how yoga hosers, if that came about in the same way, I don't know. Maybe he just thought, well, this is another crazy story that I've spun with my co-host. Uh, so let me just make this movie. And apparently this movie, even compared to Tusk, is getting really bad reviews. Hmm. And But I bring this up because Kevin Smith did something interesting. And I'm not sure how to feel about it. Uh, last night, uh, my wife and I sat down and watched on YouTube this hour-long video where Kevin Smith, and uh, he, he has a, like a different co-host, who I think is also an actor, and he actually acted in Yoga Hosers. And they read the all of the blurbs of negative reviews from Yoga Hosers. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I... 
And I guess that he was trying to base he gave his reactions to the negative reviews. And he tried to give this air, like, to every negative review. He's like, well, I meant it to be bad. Mm. And I don't know if I buy that. Like, he, he said, like, I love the movie. I want I, I made a movie that I wanted to see. But I know that people aren't going to like it. But... I don't know. I don't know. That you seems do- like a cop-out. You Yeah, no pun intended. None. Uh, <laughs> the director of Cop Out cops out. Film at 11. But... It really perplexed me because this is a guy who, you know, years back. Now, this is a little bit different now, which I'll get to. But years back, he had a whole thing where he went after critics because they trashed his movie Cop Out. And rightfully so. It's not a very good movie. But the point is, though, he said, I don't think the critics, uh, their opinion counts as much as just the regular moviegoer. When the regular moviegoer who pays money and sees pays to see my movie... Their opinion matters to me more than some guy who's just getting paid and has to go see the movie because his job and blah, blah, blah. There is a certain validity to that. Film critics are professionals who have to see movies who are not yeah. necessarily there to be entertained, but to do their job. Sometimes, I mean, not that, fil- not that film critics hate entertainment. But no, it's, well, they're it, there it, to have a good time. There is a difference between a critic watching a film and a and a person who's going out to the movie theaters just to see a film. Now, on the other hand, though, I don't like it when people really when filmmakers really push back against critics. Well, like Lady like, in the Water. Yeah, like Lady in the Water or Roland Emmerich uh, did with Godzilla, facing oh, the mayor of yes. uh, of New York City on on Roger Ebert. Yeah, and. Uh, now supposedly and, Yoke, yeah. and things like that, I mean, or Uwe uh, Uwe Boll boxing his critics. <laughs> See, that's just him being an asshole, though. That's yeah. just him like really being like a dick. Yeah, now, and yeah, it's it's just I you have to be. I think as a filmmaker, you have to be able to take criticism like that with a certain amount of grace. Mm-hmm. I you can't invalidate critics by saying i don't i don't believe in what you're saying because you certainly wouldn't say that if they gave your film good reviews yeah i i I don't the the thing that the thing that perplexes me a little bit and i it's just because i've seen kevin smith i've watched a lot of videos of him talking he's a very engaging speaker he's very funny i've seen i i've seen videos of him speaking well yeah he's he's really entertaining guy you go to youtube and watch him talking about john peters and uh the making of superman lives it's one of the best the non-making yeah superman it's, it's one of the best movie stories i've ever heard yeah um and you know he he's very funny he has a lot of wit he you know, and you get, and you usually try feel like he is trying to be a down to earth guy, but it's a strange thing because you're, you know, he's also a YouTube personality. He has his own channel. He gets lots. He has like he's like a podcaster. Yeah, he's a podcaster. He has like five hundred thousand followers. Like, are you like not really caring, or is it just more of a marketing thing? But then the irony of this whole thing is, is that he's trying to make this video to almost. Like, what it reminded me of, like, I'm going to go on and put up this video, like, responding to all my critics and who gave me these blurbs, you know, trashing my stupid uh, teenage girls versus Bratzies movie. That's what Yoga Hosers is. It's basically, like, two teenage girls in Canada working at a convenience store fight, like, little tiny sausages that are Nazis. Okay. That's, (laughs) yeah. 
that, that's Andrew for you. And, and totally unflappable. Um, but it, you don't. What it reminded me of, in a way, but I don't know to this extent. David Lynch, when uh, right before Lost Highway came out, Siskel Niebuhr, you know, gave a negative review. They gave it two thumbs down. David Lynch put that on the poster. Yeah, <laughs> two thumbs down. <laughs> Uh, maybe there, maybe it's something to it that maybe by broadcasting, oh yeah, my movie has negative reviews. Go see it. But there's also something. Um, what's his name? Uh, Norman Mailer did that with yes. Tough Guys Don't Dance. I, I brought that up to Corey. Yeah, when he was, he did that one trailer with the uh, all the negative comments from the test screening. Yes. Whoever wrote this has never read a good book. Chucks the card away. <laughs> Yeah. Now there is a certain you can revel in your infamy. Yeah. That's one thing. And you know David Lynch did that with uh, Wild at Heart. Nor Norman oh, yeah, Mailer yeah. did it, and that's a really good marketing tactic. That doesn't seem like what Kevin S Smith is no, doing. No, he might now. But I thought here's the thing that puzzles me. I feel like he might just still be thick skin, thin skinned about critics and getting negative reviews. Which is weird because he started as, like, he didn't start as some hack. He started as this part of the indie mo film movement in yes. the 90s. You know, with Clarks and Chasing Amy and movies like that. As somebody who was an original voice making independent films. He didn't start off, like, uh, making, like, Adam Sandler movies. No. Although maybe that's not what he's doing. But, but the weird thing is, is that he puts out this video and my my producer brain kicked in as like a filmmaker. And I thought, well, maybe he's thinking if I put out this video and I get all these clicks, people will be like, huh, well, he, he's kind of laughing about these reviews. He's poking fun at it. The guy he's with is doing funny voices as he's reading the reviews. But Yoga Hosers isn't playing anywhere. That's the craziest thing. Yeah. Like, Yoga Hosers, like, the closest screening that, like, here's the weird thing. He had a one-night-only screening last week as part of, like, a Fathom Events thing. Uh, and that was broadcast, like, a lot of Fathom events. But the movie's what came out this Friday, and I think it's only in, like, maybe 20 or 30 screens in the country. And mm. the closest theater near us is in Asbury Park. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry, Kevin Smith, I'm not going to travel 40 miles to see your movie. So you just kind of, whether I wa really wanted to see Yoga Hosers or not, I'm just now going to wait for DVD. Yeah, might as well. So I, I it's just it's very it, puzzling. It's it's an interesting I, I, I think it it'd be interesting if you check out this review. Now the video, I mean again, you have to go through fifteen minutes of him like he, he talks about like his daughter and why she's like the best performer. But it's YouTube, so you can, so you, you can move you can that. move the needle. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. Um and it's interesting because his critics are saying things that in the video he almost doesn't disagree with. Like one of them says like it's like an SCTV sketch devoid of laughs. And Kevin Smith's like, wow, they compared me to SCTV. That's great. <laughs> hey, who cares if it doesn't have laughs? I love SCTV. Even if it's not one of the good sketches. I'm like, okay, I guess. See, I don't know. I guess I just come from a different place since as a filmmaker. I think, you know, I, I'm i pouring something of my life. I'm pouring a year of my life into making something. It seems I very, want people to like my movie. Yeah, it seems very odd. It would seem very odd if somebody didn't stand by their movie. Yeah. I'm, now, I, now, I do get the thing that years later, filmmakers come around and say, like, yeah, I didn't do that great of a job on the movie. 
I, I kind of screwed that up. Yeah, and, and you can you can reflect on that and say, well, I could have done that, but I was under pressure, or I, or I was really exhausted, and I just said the hell with it. You know, things like that. But for, but for him, Kevin Smith, to be just like, eh, this wasn't supposed to this, be any good. The, the equivalent of this would be if when Steven Spielberg uh, made, like, 1941 – Mm-hmm. And you know that movie got trashed on its original release. I still kind of like 1941. Uh, little parts, maybe. A, no, I, you you can't. Uh, you that movie. What? I still like it. You can't dissuade me. I uh, no no no. I'm not going to try to <laughs> dissuade you. I'm just giving my opinion. I think it's uh, okay. It's not that great. But my point is, though, imagine if Steven Spielberg, if they had YouTube in the late 70s, and then he went online and just decided to. Like read the bad reviews and almost I don't know revel in them or try to mock them. He actually later on said like 1941 was a disaster. I made a total mistake. Like right. Raiders of the Lost Ark saved my career, um, you know, because I had to be disciplined. But uh, although it's funny that now that you know the movie does have fans, like, uh, and I, I'm gonna give that movie a shot one another shot one day. Yeah. Maybe I should. Uh, I, I I'll admit about 1941. It is too long. You know what it is? The Were you there when we watched it yes. together? Okay, that's just going back years and years We watched ago. it we at watched my the, place. We watched the director's cut, though. We watched the longer version. Oh, Maybe if I geez. watched the theatrical cut, maybe that I would feel different. Like, maybe. We watched a version that had like 20 added minutes. So we we watched like... It could the, have used 20 fewer minutes, <laughs> it if was you like, ask me. It was like 19 v. 41. Uh, dawn of pearl harbor ultimate edition it was more like 1941 (laughs) to 1942 man that like yeah um so anyway yeah so i just thought i'd bring that up because it was just something fascinating that you know kevin smith he I, i give him this credit he makes the films that he wants to make and you know god bless him but you know just make better movies sure (laughs) that's good advice to everybody (laughs) try not to be part of that 90 percent of crap that you talk about jack yes make better movies i will do my best when i get money do you Uh, have anything you want to say to me write better fiction (laughs) hey you you just say that to me i just throw it back to you All right, moving on. All right, moving on. Um, uh, there's something I want to talk about a little bit about. I sure, was reading, sure, uh, sure. I started watching uh, on YouTube, I was just kind of wandering around, and I started watching clips from Deadpool. Uh, the movie, okay. Yeah, you know, the funny the funny versions, uh, the, fu- <laughs> the funny th- parts. And I, I was like, oh yeah, I, I really did enjoy this movie when it came out. And, yes. you know, I'll probably have to watch it again. And then I saw some uh, reports uh, about some of the things behind the scenes on on uh, Deadpool. Okay. And apparently Ryan Reynolds paid out of his own pocket for the writers of the film to be on set. Huh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Fox didn't believe too much in the film, so they di- wouldn't pay for the writers to be on set. Wow. And Reynolds just said, I want these people to be on set. Which, and it, it's a good idea because, you know... Uh, you know the, the Ryan Reynolds. He needs to know his lines. You know, and he can try to improvise a little bit. But you know, it's this actually is something that goes back even to like the earliest comedy days, though, because you know you had uh, comedians. They didn't just you know we, we like to believe that uh, um, 
that, like the Marx Brothers just thought up everything as it came out of their heads. And uh, by the way, we'll right. talk about them later on. But, but as a guy who's made a film, you know that that doesn't always work. But no, but the thing is, though, is that those guys back then, they had gag writers. Like they would have people yeah. throw out lines and ideas and sometimes they would have them on the set or maybe they would work out things for a little while. So even if I could see why Ryan Reynolds would do that, because even if he worked out like a really, even if they worked out a really funny script ahead of time, you know, sometimes you might want to try something different. Yeah. And, and, and at its heart, Deadpool is a superhero movie, but it's it, at its heart, it's a comedy. Yeah. Uh, I, I find that fascinating also just because it maybe speaks to, I mean, maybe it was because it wasn't as higher-budgeted as other uh, comic book movies. or uh, So it could be one of, one of two things. Either it was just a simple cost-cutting measure, and, you know, because the, you know, they had to... I, know if you, I don't know if you knew this, that they had to actually do, like, a proof of concept for Deadpool to even get made. Yeah. Like, they, the, the whole scene in the, uh, the car uh, on the highway, that was done years in advance, and... Right. Um, so, I don't know if it's because of that or they just didn't believe in it. But yeah, having the writers on set is a good idea, especially well for that kind of movie. Yeah. If you're doing something more dramatic, maybe not all the time, but maybe that just—I don't know if that also might speak to if you're a big Hollywood studio and you just don't like care about writers. Yeah. Although. And it does. It goes to uh, Reynolds's credit that he actually went the extra mile and did this. Yeah, well, he's a producer on the movie too. Yeah, and and he was pushing for it from the, from the beginning. He was, you know, he was behind it all. He really wanted to do it. He really went to bat for the film. Yeah, and he, you know, he wanted to make sure it was good, which mm-hmm. is absolutely fantastic. The other thing I realized though about Deadpool though that's really interesting mm-hmm. is that we can't, we couldn't have the Deadpool film we got without a whole truckload of superhero films that came before it. Well, yeah, that's, that's especially the, the bad ones. <laughs> because think about well, how many, the, the irony of this is, is that we had Deadpool in a movie before and it was crap. Yeah. And imagine and there are Im- references to that in yeah, the next Imagine, in imagine the alternate universe though, if X-Men origins Wolverine was a good movie. Yeah. Do you think that they could have still made those jokes? Well, it, it would have been a little it, more difficult. I'm not saying impossible, but well, in that universe, also World War II never happened. So what do we? What else do we got? <laughs> uh, but but I see what you mean. I mean, I, I we also had a bunch of crappy X Men films like Wolverine and arguably the first three X Men films. Yeah, and you need a and, culture to mock right. first, and even Green Lantern. And even the good X-Men films, like there was the the one joke that I was, saw again in the clips is, uh, we'll take you, uh, Klaus is like, we'll take you to see the professor. And he's like, McAvoy or Stewart. Yeah. These, these timelines are so confusing. Yes. And, <laughs> and we've had, so, and we couldn't have had Deadpool really if it wasn't for this glut of superhero films that we've been getting. I oh, mean, yeah. we, and well, we, we couldn't even have a comedy film about superheroes if we weren't kind of at the point where it's like, okay, guys, enough for yeah. now. Well, well, I mean, tomorrow, uh, for example, I'm I'm going to see Blazing Saddles again in the theater. Yeah, that you couldn't do Blazing Saddles in the 30s. No, you know, you, you had to have like 35 years or whatever it was history of sound western movies, 
and everything that came with that. Also, farts weren't allowed back then. (laughs) You're probably true, yes. They they couldn't have the fart scene. Um, But, yeah, you needed to have a genre to react to. Like, you know, satire needs to have that reaction to stuff. Otherwise, what, what are you doing? And you need the crappy films to make fun of. Yeah, I mean, or or if not that, at least you need someone who genuinely has a love for them, even if he admits, even if they admit their crap, like Edgar Wright with Hot Fuzz, yeah. where he makes a movie that is all about, uh, you know, making fun of bad buddy cop movies and Michael Bay Explosion Fest. And, but you know, I don't know if, like, I mean, I, I haven't sat down with Edgar Wright and asked him, do you like this movie or not? I feel like he actually loves those movies, but knows that they're kind of crap, but loves them anyway. Now you see, that's, this is where I think that maybe I could make a movie because I love (laughs) Godzilla films (laughs) and I would be hard pressed to tell you like two Godzilla films that are genuinely good films. (laughs) There's the original Godzilla. Gojira. Right. Gojira. And I could say, like, maybe what my favorite one, or which one I think is the next best one, but generally I could say, nah, they're not really worth putting in a Hall of Fame or anything. Gojira was the one movie that they made that was, uh, that had, that was made with a real point of view and, like, a message for its time. Yeah. Everything after that was all about cashing in on it. Yeah, on the popularity of Godzilla. But then it's all about, then, what universe are you working in? Like, you could, it works in a different way. Yeah, and, but the thing is, I still love Godzilla films. I mean, part of it's nostalgia, but also part of it is this genuine love of the idea yeah. of a world where giant monsters exist and all these different varieties of giant monsters. Mm-hmm. So it's not so I so you know so, this so, is where I feel I could be like, huh? So, I could make a giant monster movie. <laughs> you know, the that, sort that's, of that's the a hot satire. yeah the hot fuzz of giant monster movies. Of course, the problem this of, of with course that. all is yeah. just me. Uh, building myself up, I'll never make a giant monster. Movie. Well, no, I mean, but well, you, you the, see the, what clo- I mean. the closest thing we had to that isn't really a satire. Like Pacific Rim, I feel like is the love letter to Godzilla movies. Yes, but it plays it straight. It does. Uh, the, the problem is that you know, can you get a studio to give you a hundred million plus dollars to do a satire on something? It's all. That's why it was tricky for Deadpool, and they had to kind of beg and you know scrap their way to make it because like if if you get like over a hundred million dollar budget then you have more people breathing down your neck you have more voices from the studio telling you you gotta do this you gotta do that you gotta do such and such whatever whereas you know if you only have like 50 million then maybe they leave you alone a little bit more yeah so that's that's the kind of toss-up only give me 50 million dollars I'll take care of the rest. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Andrew gonna pitch for his Godzilla spoof movie. Well, I, at least that means I can use rubber suits. I guess the, the tricky part of that, I mean, we could, I don't know if we could talk about this some other time. This would be an interesting maybe segment for like a pitch uh, idea thing. But the tricky part of that, though, is those movies are already so kind of laughable and so mockable. How do you spoof them and get humor? Well... What you do is you identify the weaknesses of it, the, the admitted faults. Oh my god, you can see the zipper in the back! Yes. <laughs> uh, but then you also... You, uh, and you play on those things. Yes. But you also have... Uh, what, what was it? I, was, I just had it. But you also have to have that genuine affection. 
like, yes. like Hot Fuzz was. Yes. It is a it is a satire of cop movies, but it plays out just like the the stereotypical cop movie that it's based on. Yes. So, you know, being sincere, but also kind of giving every everyone a little bit of yeah. a wink. So Maybe moral, that's it. So the moral of the story is Hollywood give more movies like Deadpool and Andrew's Godzilla movie a chance. Yeah. So especially since you've been blowing it with all these since big been, since box office. You you shit the bed this summer, guys. Yeah. I don't I don't care if Suicide Squad made three hundred million dollars. You messed that movie up. Wow. <laughs> Unfortunately Hollywood's not gonna take away that message. They'll just be like uh, yeah, what? No, I'm, Look, I'm counting Hollywood. this money here. We'll call it even if you just stop putting people saying thank you in front of the films. Oh my god! You know what? Uh, um, that happened... Um, maybe this is a good segue to talk about a movie I just saw, all right. if that's alright. Sure. Um, yeah, segue time. I just... Uh, so there's a new horror movie out called Don't Breathe. Right. Uh, maybe you saw the trailer for it. It's about like these three, uh, these three young people who... Uh, they break into people's houses uh, to just get their stuff, and they want to do They're like the, they want to do the quote one last score, and it's on a a blind guy with a, a big dog who lives on a street, like one of these really demolished apocalyptic type of streets in Detroit, and he's the only person who lives on that street because all the other houses are abandoned or condemned. And Why gonna, is he a target? <laughs> Does he I, seem because, like he has valuable stuff? Well, yeah, no. It's like one of the kids is like a uh, his father works for some security company, and he the, the blind guy uses the security, so they're able to look up his info. And he's like a vet, and so he's supposed to have like all maybe all this money in his house. And of course, then the kids break in, and the blind guy turns out to be uh, like Zatuichi. Yeah, like, he's basically like I'm gonna kill you all. And, uh, but the point of what I'm bringing up, though, the director did that. Oh, no. He did the, I want to thank you for coming out to this movie. We worked so hard making these movies for you. And, no! No. No, why are you saying this for a movie that you know is not only going to be number one at the box office, you're going to get all of the, like, are you that afraid that young people are not coming to the movies that as if they look at this as some kind of specialized thing and are you really naive enough to believe that by saying thank you you're going to get people to come back yeah or that they're going to feel some sort of affection for you like are they it just i don't get it like i don't we get never it saw either. this like before this is like a new trend this year like are studios that worried about the end of cinema or something? I know. Oh, it, it makes me nervous. It, I really want to know the logic behind these. Am I, gonna, I want yeah. some person in a movie studio to explain to me what the business reasoning is behind having these little introductions. Yeah. Because they feel cheap and they feel manipulative the, and that more than anything is going to turn me off rather than make me give you any goodwill yeah the the, the business I, I in the abstract i get the business thinking of it i All get right. the, i well, get what, what explain it to me the, the idea is that 
for well, for example, for a movie like Don't Breathe. Now, for Finding Dory, I don't know what the hell they were thinking with that. Why they put a thank you for coming out to see Finding Dory. You're Pixar. You're making a sequel to one of your biggest movies. Get over yourselves. But for something like Don't Breathe, okay, so this is a little horror movie. Uh, actually, Sam Raimi produced it. Um, and unfortunately, it's actually not that very good. Mm. Um, I could go into more reasons why that is, but... I think it's because, like, the audience that would come out for this movie are, like, teenagers and uh, people, maybe a little younger than me. People, like, or young people like to go to R-rated horror movies. And maybe the thinking is, well, these people aren't going out to see our movies so much. And the fact that they paid us, like, they paid out, like, the $13, $14, $15 to come see this. You know, let's give them a little thank you. So they'll remember it. And they'll be like, gee, they really... We really, they really care about us. But the thing is... Now, again, I'm not saying that's true. I'm just trying to get into their thought process of the cynical marketing So you don't believe that that necessarily works. No. I'm going to say why it doesn't work. (laughs) Because despite whatever people think, teenagers aren't stupid. Yeah. if, if, If I was a teenager and I've been going to movies my whole life, seeing your kids' movies that you churn out every month... And I saw that, I'd feel condescended to. I'd feel like I, you know, I know I'm paying my money. I'm already sitting here. You don't need to thank me. Just give me a good movie. Yeah. Give me a reason that I didn't feel cheated. I mean, I wouldn't, I, I would. Uh, I Man, w- what's next? I Am wouldn't I... feel anything if I just wasn't so baffled by why it's happening. Yeah. I, I really want to write a letter to somebody or. Like, by the way, if you have any thoughts about these thank you introductions, send us an email to waitforcinema.gmail.com. We we don't understand the mystery, listeners. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there was... Oh, yeah, so they did it for X-Men. Did you see it for any other movie? I haven't, thank God. Like I said, now I've seen it twice. And I feel like there was one other movie that I didn't see this summer, and that also happened. I'm a little worried, though. What if, like, they rope in, like legends to do this like there's a new clint eastwood movie coming out this weekend mm-hmm. uh sully is he gonna be rolled out and be like yeah thanks for coming to see this movie yeah. i don't think he'll do that but <laughs> i would almost find that amusing <laughs> like i would almost laugh at that if like the studio forced i don't clint know eastwood i would i would, to... fi- I would feel sad about that <laughs> no i would feel sad but I would kind of laugh if he used it as an opportunity to just not give a shit. And, <laughs> oh, man, I just think, like, what if, like, Spielberg does this next or somebody really big? Like, you got to stop doing this, Hollywood. Stop. We, again, don't, don't you, the fact that you were doing this in the worst summer that Film, that film has had in a while or at least maybe not worse but one of the most disappointing summers in a while speaks to something yeah so I don't just here's the thing whatever hollywood <laughs> just know that this isn't making me want to see more movies no like you don't need if i want to learn about the magic of hollywood and you know why it's so special that i'm sitting here watching your digital projection on a big screen I can watch like a documentary or watch some videos about it, or yeah. I've taught a filmmaking class. I know what's what's up. Don't so know. don't breathe. Uh, don't breathe. Um, just a short bit about this movie in case you're interested, because I know you like horror. Um, we like horror movies. Um, this one 
has an interesting first half because it starts off in an area where it's actually pretty well made too. Like it has some really good craft behind it. Uh, the director of it, uh, who again introduced the movie, uh, he also did the remake of Evil Dead, which wasn't terrible. Uh, it was a little formulaic. Uh, at times, it was even surprisingly generic, but it, it tried. Right. It did. This movie tries up until its second half when it starts to go off on off a cliff, and you get the horror movie characters that act stupid and illogical. Yeah. And that's a problem. And there's no, like, magic illogical thinking gas from Cabin in the Woods to explain it. No, 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 not, no. This is more like... Just go see Cabin in the Woods again. Yeah, don't go see Don't Breathe. (laughs) You know... That should be a rating for horror films now. Just go see Cabin in the Woods again. (laughs) Well, I I think we could have a scale, though. Like, I would say you have, uh, you know, go see Cabin in the Woods instead, or go see The Babadook instead. Or go see, uh, I don't know, The Conjuring 2 or something like that. Here's the thing. Like, for bad movies, we find, like, a, a, a good movie that's, like, similar to it. Yeah. And then say, instead of this, yeah. go see that. Actually, you know what? Instead of Don't Breathe, screw these guys thanking you for coming to see this movie. Stay home and watch Hush. Watch the horror movie Hush, which also involves... Uh, a character with a disability. Again, this movie has a blind guy oh, yeah. whose home is invaded. Hush is about a deaf woman who is invaded by a uh, some creepy killer. Or see, um, or see, crap. What's it called? Wait until dark. Yes, wait until dark. Yeah, you know what? Like, it's, I mean, it's, it's not the greatest movie, but still, it's pretty entertaining. This movie is like if Wait Until Dark just took a whole lot of stupid and ugly pills. There's a twist in the third act that just, it left me kind of repulsed. Oh. I don't want to say more than that. Uh, and it just, it, 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 it stacks the deck too high. That's the thing. And, and like, I started to think about, like, things that don't make sense. And it was almost like the CinemaSin counter really started going by a certain point. Right. So, yeah, that's Don't Breathe. Um... I also like to briefly talk about. I watched, finally saw a movie that I wanted to see for months called De Palma, and uh, this is a documentary about Brian De Palma's films. Okay. Um, and here's the, the the thing I found intriguing about this from hearing about it. And Does it have an extra long POV shot that shows you all of his different films? Uh, POV shot. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, it, it it shows clips from all of his films. Or an extra long take of things that... Like extra footage? No. No. I was trying to reference Brian De Palma, but I don't know what the words are. You mean a long tracking shot? Yeah, that's what I mean. The, the thing. Well, I mean, he they feature clips of some of the tracking shots in the movie. I don't know if that counts. I don't know what Did else Did they talk any at all about Phantom of the Paradise? Yes. Good. Yes, uh, they talk about, he talks about how he just, like, you know, he was in, like, a period of his career before he made Carrie, which, uh, um, when he wanted to just try different things, and sometimes it was difficult because, like, a couple years before he made Fan of the Paradise, he made a movie that he got fired from called Get to Know Your Rabbit, uh, which also, which featured Orson Welles, and he has a couple of Orson Welles stories. He was like, he didn't know his lines. I had to, like tape lines to people and i had to like sit down with orson wells i'm like a 32 year old like having to instruct orson wells how to act Jeez. 
Um, but no, he talked about Phantom of the Paradise. He just said came out of like going to lots of rock clubs at the time and just seeing how ridiculous things looked and how uh, shallow the music industry was and having friends in the music industry and just. Although he he also talked about how the movie got hit by some uh, law, like legal trouble. Really? Because, um, well, Fam of the Opera was one thing. And then, um, I feel like there might have also been a some Disney movie he mentioned. I, I don't remember what. Oh, there was some movie with Paradise in the title huh. that a studio went after them for. And they got hit with, like, injunctions. So, it was weird that the movie actually flopped in the U.S. Like, he was really disappointed with that. But he said that the movie played for like ten years in France. Yeah, and in Europe all, it was huge. It also, uh, I think, in Winnipeg it was big. Yeah, he said in certain areas it was big, but like he went on opening weekend with like the lead actor to some theater in New York City, and he's like, nobody's here. Yeah, and he felt really sad about that. And uh, I really enjoy Phantom of the Paradise. I, watching clips from that movie made me want to watch it again. Just like there's this one scene in the, that they show in this documentary where. They're doing, like, this kind of 360 shot showing, like, these different acts auditioning. Yes. And they're all really pallid uh, retreads of songs. Right. Because he said that a lot of the inspiration from the movie also came from just this one moment where uh, he said that he was in, like, an he was in some elevator where they were playing Beatles music. Yeah. Which, today, we you know, people might not think that's a big deal, but for him, he's like... Okay, so you took this band, which were really original and innovative. Perhaps the greatest and, band of all time. And you just turned them into total crap. Yeah. And that just kind of struck him as like, this isn't right. Yeah. And he took that and used that as part of his movie. Um, so, yeah, I think it was, yeah, somebody from Phantom of the Opera, whoever owned the rights to that at the time. like, And I mean like the one with, maybe by, with Lon Chaney went after them, which I thought was a like a public domain title but i guess not so no, maybe not by that time yeah so i guess because he I mean, the thing is, borrowed movie things. titles can't be copyrighted i well i mean well, it depends i there are lots of films that have the same title sometimes the the it's, timing works differently so um so i don't know how it quite works exactly but um but yeah, that's that's the thing about these these titles. Like, I'm kind of curious now because I think that the movie got like a different title elsewhere. Like, it wasn't called Phantom of the Paradise everywhere it was screened. Um, uh, oh, it was also funny. They showed uh, to right before they sh talked about Paul Williams. They showed a clip of him from the Muppet Show. Ah. <laughs> he shows up in the Muppet movie too. Nice. Um, so I, I found that kind of fun. Uh, yeah, that that's like it stands out too from some of his other movies because he he did a lot of satirical movies. Um, yeah, but Phantom of the Paradise is just goofy. I I love it for that. It's so flamboyant and it's really uh, really out there. I like the uh, I like the Spanish title, El Fantasma del Paraiso. The the Phantom of the Paradise. Yes, but I like the word Phantasma. Okay, that's that's a good word. Uh, fan like phantasm. Right. Or something. Um, yeah, and, you know, he talks about a lot of movies that he made. I mean, he talks about uh, uh, The Untouchables, of course. Um, he Apparently that whole staircase sequence was almost made up by him on the spot. 
Like, again, obviously taken from Battleship Potemkin. But, you know, he cops to that. But he said that originally there was some other sequence that was written, but the writer of the movie just gave up and didn't want to write the movie anymore for some (laughs) reason. And so Brian De Paul was like, well, I need a different sequence. I already did that train scene. So he, like... Yeah. Yeah, and so he just improvised this whole sequence. It's it's kind of interesting to hear him... Because the whole documentary... Sometimes you get these talking head movies and it's the main person being interviewed and then other people give their two cents. They're also interviewed. Like, that's how the documentary Milius was about John Milius. This is just Brian De Palma. Nobody else. Which, it creates an interesting visual dynamic that I like because you have just this one shot of him talking and he's a really good storyteller. Like, he tells these fascinating anecdotes and, you know, thoughts about the movie industry and all that. And then you see the clips from his movies, and you know they're full of these crazy dynamic shots, and the camera's moving everywhere, and there's blood, and Al Pacino screaming, yeah. and all this stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend it if you can check it out. It, it uh, if you have, even if you haven't seen too many of his movies, like I know you've only seen maybe a few, a handful. Okay, yeah. Like, um, but it, you might. You could, you would definitely get something out of it. You might even want to check out some of his other uh, horror movies, like uh, Sisters. Like Sisters seems like something that should have already been on uh, Trailers from Hell. Yeah, like that's a real Trailers from Hell movie. Or, well, or, or, or it's well, quite the, possible it was. I just or forgot the, it. Or uh, the Fury. Maybe that was on Trailers from Hell. Maybe. I feel like, I feel like Edgar Wright did some Brian De Palma trailer on that show. Probably. I'm forgetting what it is. So, yeah, I wanted to just talk about that. And then, um, also, uh, The Mermaid, which is a movie yeah, that we watched, uh, together. We watched together. Now, I, go, go over why you wanted to watch The Mermaid. The Mermaid was a movie made in China. It's a couple of reasons. Um, I had heard, I had just heard a lot about this movie earlier this year, and I had intended to see it in, in the theater if I could, but it's another one of these cases where it's an independent foreign film that didn't get great distribution which is a shame because i would think you know this is a movie made by the director stephen chow who did uh kung fu hustle a while back that was uh actually a pretty big crossover success like that played in mainstream theaters and multiplexes i remember yeah yeah and it's, it's a really fun movie and then he's made a number of movies since then uh he actually came close to making uh, the green hornet uh i think that fell apart he was really gonna star in that too um, he's actually a very funny actor as well. Good. Um, he made a weird kids movie you might like called CJ Seven. It's it's hard to describe, but involves like a kid and a bunch of little green monsters. They're CGI, but they're I don't remember too much about it now. But but the point is, I it had gotten a lot of buzz, and it's also. Um, the Mermaid have gotten a lot of well, buzz. Well, The Mermaid got a lot of buzz. It's the highest grossing movie in, in China, currently. Huh. Maybe a movie beat it since then. I don't know. Like, the Chinese box office, again, is just... It, it keeps growing and growing. It's like a, it's like one of those monsters. It just doesn't stop growing or something. Um, and so I was curious about it. I, I just... There was no other reason except that here's this movie by this director that I kind of like. And... Uh, you know, I, I kind of like the idea that he's doing a spin in a subversive way of Little Mermaid. Did you get that at all? Well, the in Little a, Mermaid in a way, the it, Little he Mermaid twists it around story a lot. is 
Well, well, again, I only I was kind of going off of the Disney version. Maybe the real one. In broad strokes, they're similar stories, but really, in the details, they are completely different films. No, 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 they are. I mean, again, this is like this is the mermaid. This is the Little Mermaid. If it was made by somebody who's again a crazy Asian filmmaker, because it's like it involves mermaids and real people, and instead of like the mermaid seeing like the young prince then she falls in love just by looking at him and then like she gets cursed and then then she decides i want to be with him so she's given legs here the mermaid uh is sent to kill him yes and but then they fall in love i find i found this film really endearing it's really charming because of just i think the the characters are very simple yeah you you said that there's a naive naivete to them in a way, well, like, or or the mermaid character, the, the mermaids the... themselves as characters are very naive about about what it takes to actually kill people and how to succeed in their plans. They're 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 so naive about what people are like and what the human world is like is that they really have no chance of pulling this off. Uh, mm-hmm. But it really makes them endearing because they're like they're fighting for their lives and they just have no idea what they're up against. But they're all like, yeah, yeah, that's right. They're yeah. all the mermaids are are threatened are. Like their cove is going to be developed, and they're like, "All right, we got to kill the guy who owns the property, and that will make sure that we're all safe." And so they send this one mermaid who can walk on her fins because they they've cut her tail fin, and she walks around like she's got her legs in one pant leg. Yes, because you know she just has a tail, and like and the the fins are just like her feet. Yeah, she's able to adapt a little bit better than some of the other ones have. Yeah, uh, just I, barely. I, she's still ridiculous though, but she's the best they could do. The movie has just genuine <laughs> charm about how it approaches things, like. There's a kind of running gag where, um, the like, because there are a bunch of mermaids, but then there's also, do we call him an octopus? There's an octopus man. There's an octopus like man. Ursula from The Little Mermaid, yeah. except he's a man. Yeah, but there's an octopus man who also tries to kill uh, the character, and he appears at one point as a, a chef. But then people want to, but then like his, his tentacles, his tentacles keep come getting undone injured. and they keep getting injured because people try to eat them. Yes. And the way that he reacts to that. Again, it's very it's so it's a little cartoonish. It's a little gruesome. It's but gruesome, it's, but it's still really funny. The director knows what he's doing. Like I, there's a little bit. I, I know we've now talked about him a few times, but a little bit of Edgar Wright sensibility, maybe. Maybe. Maybe a little bit of that high comic, fast paced spirit. Like this movie moved very quickly. Yeah. So that that helped too. Now the problem is that in the third act it gets really kind of preachy about the environment and a little bit and it gets and it shifts majorly like before it was kind of cute and endearing even though it was kind of like oh we're going to kill this guy it was still funny and everyone was still cute and then in the third act it turns into uh an action film i think it still had that environmental message in the first half it's but it was that... subtle in the third act it got preachy yeah which is never good a little bit. Well, it's also again Chinese. Chi- it's funny that it's coming from China because I thought China was maybe that was the director's ideas because China is a place that really is polluted. Well, they pollute a lot of the water and land. Well, China aside, I... yeah, a China aside, talking about the movie itself, I could kind of see that. Like the t- the tone gets a little bit more serious and it it turns a lot more into an action movie. But I still thought the action was handled well. Yeah. Like the the climax was, uh, it was kind of intense, and it does shift tones. Maybe 
going back to Edgar Wright, maybe it's also the kind of thing with Shaun of the Dead, where that movie is two-thirds of a really funny, sweet, like, romantic comedy, and then it becomes a really dark zombie movie. Hmm. And some of the tone of that didn't quite work for me, even though I still like both movies quite a lot. And again, I was about to say was, yeah, like, this is not, yeah, this is the biggest grossing movie in China. All by that, it is in the top ten grossing movies this year worldwide. Like, it made half a billion dollars. Cool. And in the U.S., it made, like, three million. So, I don't know. I, I didn't see it in the theaters because, and I don't know if you could tell this, but I could kind of see it on the TV. This this played in 3D in a lot of theaters. I didn't want to see it in 3D. I thought, like, I don't know if I want to go that far to support this movie. I could see how some of the they scenes. were doing that, but, but still, I wasn't thinking about it at the time. Some a, a couple of shots seemed to pop out a little bit, like as if they were 3D. Like, but it made sense because it involves, like, mermaids and lots of water effects. There you go. If you want a successful 3D movie, do what Jack says, have it with, with, with mermaids. With mer- mermaids, yes. Right. The mermaids. <laughs> <laughs> anyway anyway i think that's uh yeah i think we're, we've about reached it yeah i think that's uh yeah i think we're pretty good i mean there there are other things that we could talk about but i think we're we're pretty much caught up um so if you've seen any of these movies uh please give us a message at wages of cinema at gmail.com um we also have uh facebook and twitter and instagram uh tumblr so you can subscribe to all of us there and uh send us a message if you want on there too uh we you know we get a lot of nice feedback uh, i also want to give a shout out to uh a good uh friend and uh follower of the show gabe rodriguez he actually gave a shout out to us on another podcast that he was on oh nice um i don't have the name of it off the uh the top of my head, I believe it was called Love and Spit. I could be getting that wrong, and he'll probably be like, No! <laughs> you betrayed me for the last time, Jack Attenella. Um But, uh, yeah, thank you, Gabe, for mentioning uh, us on, on the show. I re- we really appreciate uh, all of your comments and feedback. And, uh, and yeah. Gabe, you are the fourth wages of no uh fifth wages of yes cinema you're you're man. you're the you're you're like the you're uh, the you're the fifth wager the the fifth wager yes <laughs> he, behind Corey and matt okay that that makes sense you're yeah. like the fifth beetle but with the wages of cinema you're the fifth wager yeah maybe someday we'll have him on as uh like do a, a review of a movie or something that'd be great all right so when we get back uh we are going to continue and conclude our discussion of the marx brothers as we talk about movies post duck soup spoiler alert they're really funny they're funny the question is are they good stay tuned and know more about